Jesus Christ is the King of kings who sovereignly reigns over all creation. Jesus Christ is the King of kings who sovereignly reigns over all creation. Not only did Jesus come into this world as a baby, born in this shabby stable in Bethlehem, not only is Jesus the promised Savior who came to save us from our sin, but Jesus is the King of kings who will reign forever and ever. We are called to believe in him, submit to him, and worship him. We'll begin today by considering Christ the King foretold. Now it's important to put Gabriel's announcement to Mary into the broader biblical context, which means we need to go back in time. Now thankfully, last week, Pastor Jonathan introduced us to this Christmas time machine. If you were here last week, um, it sounded, do you remember? It sounded like, I didn't go back and listen to the sermon, but I'm pretty sure that's what it sounded like. And so Jonathan took us on this time travel last week, and um, I thought that would be a, a good thing to do today as well. So we are headed back to Genesis chapter 12, where God made a promise to Abraham. God said that from Abraham, he would make a great nation and that all families on earth would be blessed through him. We know from New Testament passages that this was a promise of spiritual blessing. More specifically, God was speaking about the plan, his plan of redemption that would be ultimately fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And I want to quickly walk through this connection of Abraham to Jesus. If you know Old Testament history, you know that Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, who God later renamed Israel. And now Jacob had 12 sons, right? We could sing the song, but I'm not going to. Uh, 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel. And one of his sons was named Judah. So you're with me so far. We've got Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, to Judah. And that's just one branch of Abraham's family tree. Now I'm going to jump from Genesis to the book, end of the book of Ruth. Ruth chapter 4, verse 18, begins like this. Now these are the generations of Perez. This is a Christmas sermon, right? We're, we're talking about Perez. You're probably like, okay, where are you going with this? So, Keep with me here. So we've got Perez, who we know from Genesis chapter 38, with a little drama sprinkled in, is uh, the son of Judah. So at the end of the book of Ruth, we're just continuing this uh, tracing of the branch of Abraham's family tree. And Ruth 18 continues like this. Forgive me if I don't get all these names right. They're not totally familiar to, with me. But it's, uh, in Ruth it says, that uh, Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amanadab. Amanadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. And you all know David, right? David is the, the, the shepherd boy. Well... A depiction of David. David is the, the shepherd boy that killed Goliath, right? He is the one that wrote a ton of psalms. 
he became king of Israel. So scripture, through scripture, we can trace from Abraham to David. And I found this super cool because it, it's showing how God's plan of redemption first promised to Abraham eventually grew to include a king. And just as God made a covenant with Abraham, he also made a covenant with David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. It's the passage that we heard read earlier for us in the service. But let me read a portion of that passage again, beginning in verse 12. God tells David, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, which is just a nice way of saying when you die, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Then skipping ahead to verse 16, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Now a portion of this promise relates to David's son Solomon who, who built the temple, built this house for the Lord. But much of this promise could not be fulfilled by any person because it talks of a kingdom that lasts forever. And we know that eventually David's family lost governing control of Israel. But God's promise to David was never lost. In fact, God only affirmed and strengthened that promise through the words of his prophets. Isaiah wrote uh, this well-known Christmas prophecy from Isaiah chapter 9 that ends like this, of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Do you see the link of this prophecy to the promise God made to David? Isaiah was speaking of the Messiah, one who would establish the throne of David and whose kingdom will never end. The prophet Jeremiah wrote of a future day when the Lord would raise up for David a righteous branch and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Jeremiah 23. These Old Testament prophecies and many others gave the Jewish people hope of a deliverer, a ruler or king in the line of David who would govern with perfect justice and righteousness. Even when the Jewish people were taken captive, even when the foreign nations would assume control of their land, even hundreds of years later, at the time of Jesus' birth, the Jewish people clung to the hope of this king who had been foretold by God centuries earlier. In Luke chapter 2, we learn of Simeon, who was waiting for the consolation of Israel. After witnessing Jesus heal a demon-possessed man in Matthew 12, the people said, Can this be the son of David? Matthew 12, 23. And Jesus, demonstrating, after demonstrating his omniscience to Nathanael, Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King 
of Israel, John 1.49. These first century Jews knew their scripture. They knew of the promised Messiah, the ruler from the line of David, foretold by God's prophets. And they waited and they hoped for the fulfillment of God's promise. And God did prove faithful to his promise because he is always faithful to his promises. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises God made to Abraham and David. Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecies of a coming king. Jesus is Christ the king fulfilled. Gabriel's announcement to Mary surely surprised her, but I don't think it confused her. Your son will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. The message was crystal clear. The angel connected the birth of her son to this great promise God made to David centuries earlier. Her son would be the promised king, the one they had hoped for and waited for. But both Luke and Matthew make sure their readers knew that Jesus was from the line of David. Matthew began his gospel like this, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This intentional introduction to gospels, uh, Matthew's gospel informs the reader immediately that Jesus fulfilled the promises God made to Abraham and David. This would not have been lost on Matthew's Jewish audience. After Jesus' resurrection, Luke records that Jesus told his disciples that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets in the Psalms must be fulfilled then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, Luke 24. Jesus personally explained to his disciples how he was Christ the King fulfilled. So when you look at a painting or a wooden crush that depicts a little baby lying in a manger, remember that baby Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise of a king. So what is the significance of all of this? I want to submit to you three points of significance this morning. I know there are many, many more, but three have stood out to me this week as I prepared to preach. First, God is faithful. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, Deuteronomy 7.9. You can count on God fulfilling every promise he makes. This thread of a promised king woven throughout Scripture and fulfilled in Jesus Christ is clear proof of God's, God's great faithfulness. The birth of Jesus, the Christmas story, was not just some random or detached event that happened. It is the fulfillment of God's promises and prophecies spread over centuries and recorded for us in Scripture. Isaiah 9, 7, the, the end of that verse says, uh, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. He was orchestrating and controlling and, 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 and ensuring that his promises would be fulfilled. Now at the same time, I also think the Christmas story shows us that God's faithfulness often follows a timeline 
and methods that we don't expect. God chose to go silent 400 years before Christ the King would be born. No prophets spoke God's message for 400 years. God chose a poor, poor, ordinary couple to raise Jesus. God chose lowly shepherds to be the first eyewitness account of the Savior's birth. I don't think any of us would have scripted it like this. Yet being on this side of history, we can look back with confidence and proclaim God is faithful. Second, as King Jesus has received all authority over all of creation. The Bible describes Jesus as the King of Kings, meaning not just that he is king over all earthly governing authorities, but meaning he is king in the highest sense. This title reveals his supremacy over all things. After his resurrection, Jesus told his disciples that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Matthew 28, 18. All authority in heaven and on earth. There is no greater authority than Jesus, our King. There is no teacher. There is no coach, no CEO, no military leader, no political pundit or elected official or celebrity or angel or demon who has more authority than Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. Paul writes that when God raised Christ from the dead, he was seated at God's right hand in heaven, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet. Ephesians 1, 20-22. Jesus supremely reigns over all things on heaven and on earth. That means he reigns over you and your marriage and your family and your finances and your future. He reigns over your gifts and your talents and your successes. He reigns over your brokenness and pain and disappointments and failures. Colossians 1.17 tells us Jesus is before all things and in him all things hold together. So who has more authority than Jesus? No one. What is outside of his control? Nothing. He is the king of kings with all authority who reigns forever. And a third point of significance this morning is that Jesus reigns in perfect holiness. Jesus reigns in perfect holiness. He's not a tyrannical ruler. He's not corrupted by his position of authority. He does not promise one thing and then deliver something else. Jesus is without sin, perfect and holy in every way, and his love for you never ends. He is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He governs his kingdom with justice and righteousness forever. His kingdom is described as good news, Luke 8.1. It is described as righteousness, peace, and joy, Romans 14.17. His kingdom cannot be shaken, Hebrews 12.28. His throne is a throne of grace, 
Hebrews 4.16. He's a king who knows you intimately and loves you perfectly. He is not a distant king who rules from afar. Rather, he is a king that entered into the battle and gave his very life for you. Jesus has authority over all things, and he reigns over all things in perfect holiness. I'd like to conclude by considering three ways we are called to respond to Christ the King. First, believe. In John 3.3, Jesus tells Nicodemus that only those who are born again are part of his kingdom. Scripture teaches that while we are all born physically alive, we are also all born spiritually dead, Ephesians 2.1. We need a second birth, a spiritual birth, what Jesus described as being born again. Now, to be born again means that the Holy Spirit convicts you of your sinfulness and leads you to repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ. I know this biblical truth is hard for some to accept. There's a belief, a false belief in our culture today that just being a good person enters you into the kingdom of God. If I'm a nice person and and work hard and love my family, then surely God will admit me into his kingdom. But that is not at all consistent with what the Bible teaches. Scripture tells us that no one is righteous, Romans 3.11, that all have sinned, Romans 3.23, And that even our good, upright deeds are like filthy rags, Isaiah 64, 6. Paul wrote, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Entry into God's kingdom means confessing your sinfulness to Jesus, admitting that you fall short of his holy standard, and accepting in faith his free gift of grace, the gift of salvation because he died in your place. As we sang earlier in the service, mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. If you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ, the invitation awaits. Respond in faith and become part of his kingdom today. Second, a response to Jesus, the king, is to submit. When we look at Jesus as both our savior and our king, then submission to him is a proper response. Submission to Jesus means we obey him. It means we serve him. It means we trust him. The simple prayer that Jesus modeled for us begins like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Matthew 6, 9, and 10. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus ended each of his short prayers by saying, not as I will, but as you will, Matthew 26. These prayers reveal a posture of submission. The words are important, but the heart attitude is most important. You have a heart of submission to Jesus, the King. When you submit yourself to Jesus, you make time in his word a priority because scripture reveals his commands and his character. If you pray 
your will be done. The first place to go to figure out God's will is God's word. I know how easy it is to make excuses for neglecting the Bible. Perhaps you think you're too busy. You can't get up in time. You know already what the Bible says. Friends, a new year is quickly approaching, and perhaps your new year's resolution should be to commit to reading God's word every day. I encourage you to talk to a parent or a pastor. We would love to get you on a reading plan that works with your schedule. Make reading God's word a priority next year as a way to grow in submission to him. Now, of course, reading and knowing the Bible is one thing. Submitting yourself to Jesus also means obeying his word. Mary modeled this. Responding to Gabriel's announcement, she said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word, Luke 1.38. She heard God's word and immediately submitted to it. So you obey your parents, not because getting on their good side helps you get things you want. You obey your parents because it's an act of submission to Jesus the King. You love and respect your spouse, not because these are the ingredients to a happy marriage. It's an act of submission to Jesus the King. You honor one another. You rejoice in hope. You are patient in tribulation. You tithe on your income. You show hospitality. You bless those who persecute you. You do not repay evil with evil, but you seek to live peaceably with all because these are all acts of submission to Jesus the King. When your heart attitude is one that means it, when you pray, your will be done, then you submit to God's perfect plan and his perfect timing. It means you're content in your current circumstances, knowing that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now that doesn't mean we don't experience sadness, grief, disappointment, frustration, and hurt. We will. We will. But even in the most trying of circumstances that we desperately wish would change, we can humbly and faithfully pray, your will be done and ask the Lord to provide the strength needed to handle whatever circumstance you face. He is a perfect, faithful, holy king who loves you, and nothing is impossible for him. Finally, is worship. A third response is worship. Worship is an act of submission. When we declare our praise and adoration to Jesus, it rightly places us in a posture of submission. Our focus shifts from ourselves onto the one who alone is worthy of praise. Matthew records that when the Magi saw Jesus, they fell down and worshipped him. Matthew 2.11 Mary overflowed with praise, declaring, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Luke 1.46-47 Our worship ought to magnify King Jesus. The shepherds encountered Jesus and returned to the field, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Luke 2.20 Simeon and Anna encountered baby Jesus in the temple and overflowed with worship. Worship is an act of declaring your allegiance, your commitment, 
your adoration to Jesus. It is an act that declares Jesus is your king and he reigns over your life. So it is not just a once a week activity at church. It is a moment by moment, day by day attitude that seeks to give Jesus your honor, submission, and obedience. And how often do we sing praises to Jesus on Sunday and return home to worship our possessions or our job or our achievements or our pleasure or our reputation? We worship these things because we falsely believe that they bring us satisfaction or hope. But when things of this world reign in our lives, we inevitably learn they only lead to disappointment and discontentment. Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Matthew 6.33 May that be a command we take to heart this week and in the year ahead, to seek first the kingdom of God, to trust our king, to obey him, submit to him, and worship him. He is the king of kings. Will you join me as I close in prayer? Lord Jesus, King Jesus, we do bow, have a a posture of humility in your presence right now, recognizing that you are the king of kings, the Lord of lords, on your throne, reigning forever. We give you praise. We give you thanks that your reign, your rule, your authority over us is perfect and holy and loving. Help us, Lord Jesus, to believe in you, to submit to you and your word, and to live lives of worship to you. We pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.